0: Well, hello, church. It is so good to be with you guys today. Thank you so much for allowing me to be in your home, wherever you guys are at, on your device. I'm excited about what God has for us in this time that we're together. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Nate. I'm one of the Next Gen pastors here at Christ Community, which means I work with students. This is the world I live in, and as somebody who works with students, I've had to make it a priority in my life to try to stay on top of some of the things that are happening in the world today, right? To, to be kind of informed about pop culture and what's going down, the things that students are talking about, the things that they're paying attention to, what they're listening to. Now, most of the time, this stuff, like, I, I gotta be honest, like, I don't get it. Maybe you've heard of this thing called TikTok. It's this app with a bunch of random videos that don't make sense. Like, it is beyond me, right? Like, so some of that, like, okay, like, if that's where you're at, like, no problem. But there are these other times, where some of the things that students are talking about, some of these things that have captured their hearts, they're actually things that are worth paying attention to. You know, one of those things that actually happened this last month, there was a musician by the name of uh, Montero Lamar Hill. He goes by the stage name Lil Nas X and he released some sneakers and a music video that caused quite a stir. And that's because these, uh, these two things, they, they were specifically designed to try to inflame the Christian community. Now, as you can imagine, when this happened, it caused quite a response on social media. We had a lot of students who were talking about it. Now for me, uh, before I ever make a judgment about something like this that's happened, I spent time doing research, trying to find out the backstory, because I found out that if I can understand the backstory, I could actually understand better this thing that's happened. And when I did some research on this guy, I found out that he actually had a history with the church and unfortunately his, his history was pretty negative. You know, as a young kid, when he was like 14, he was wrestling with his sexuality because he dealt with same-sex attraction. And when he came out to his church, to the community he was a part of, instead of being loved, right, instead of having them walk alongside of him as he kind of processed that and tried to discern where Jesus was in that, they rejected him. And that rejection, it hurt him and it caused him not only to walk away from Jesus, but then to begin to hate everything that he stood for. You know, when I, when I read this, um, my, my heart broke. And, and it didn't just break for him. It actually broke for all of the people who could tell a story just like his. I, I think of all the people who've been hurt because of a divorce that they've had or, or people who've been rejected because of their political beliefs or, or, or people who have been rejected because they had people in their life who didn't agree with some of the things that they were doing. I think we all know somebody who's been hurt like this. And I just wanna say like, if that's you, if that's your story, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we didn't show you the heart of Jesus in that thing, that we didn't show you the love that he has for you. You know, a, a lot of us in the church, when we hear stories like this, we become deeply aware that sometimes there is something wrong with the way that the church engages the world and our hearts, right, they, they break because of this. We know it's not the way it's supposed to be. And a question that we often ask ourselves in these situations is, is this, like, what do we actually do about it? How can we live in a way that's gonna draw people to Jesus instead of push them away from him? Well, that's what we're gonna be exploring in our time together, in the text that we're gonna be looking at that comes out of Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Now, if you've been with us for the last several months, we're in the midst of a series right now called Kingdom Culture, and if you've missed any of them, you can find them on online on the app. You know, I mean, like we we got them up there, right? Like I encourage you guys go check them out. But in this series, we're taking time to unpack the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew five to seven. It's this like beautiful thing that Jesus taught, and in this, he's talking a lot about this thing that he calls the kingdom this thing that he's doing here in the world. And we've been exploring like in light of that kingdom, God, how are you calling us to live? What are we supposed to do, right? Because th- this kingdom, it's not just this thing that's gonna happen in the future. It's something God is, is doing in the midst of our world right now. So up till now, we've been looking at a, a series of, of you know, teachings that Jesus did that's called the Beatitudes. And these are these descriptions of really who we should be as kingdom people. Right, it talks about some of the things that should mark our character, the way that we live our lives, right? And specifically it focuses on some internal things that are happening in our heart. But what we're gonna look at today, Jesus begins to shift the conversation a little bit where we move from something that's happening in us to actually the way that we interact and engage with the world that is around us, specifically a world that doesn't know him. And so in this text, Jesus is actually gonna give us these two different images to help us understand how we should see ourselves in the world and how we should engage with it. First one comes out of Matthew five thirteen, where Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. Now with everything that Jesus says, it's really important for us to understand what this meant to the original hearers, right? Because for a lot of us, like we, we don't really have any strong emotions with salt, but for these people, like it actually meant something to them. It made sense. You see, back in that time, they didn't have access to a lot of the things that we do in our world today. Right? They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have endless ways to be able to cook their food to make it taste the way they wanted it to. And that's where salt came in. It was actually considered to be this essential and necessary commodity for the flourishing of human life. And they used it for two things. The first was flavoring, right? We get that one. You add it to food, you make it more palatable. That's really good. But, but the second thing was this. It was pr- for preserving You see, as we mentioned just a second ago, like they didn't have fridges. And so what they would do is whenever they would catch food, specifically meat or fish, when they would get it, they would take the salt and they would put it into the meat and it would do two things. It would dry up any moisture that was in there and it would keep bacteria from growing. And when they were able to do this, it allowed the meat to last much longer before it spoiled. Right? So when Jesus says that his followers are like the salt of the earth, the thing that he's really talking about, the thing that he's really trying to get at is that we, just like salt, are a people who bring flavor into the world. We, just like salt, are a people who preserve some of the things that he wants to see happen here in this world, right? To bring flavor, this means that we have been invited to partner with God as we become a people who help others catch glimpses of what this kingdom is all about. In in 2 Corinthians 2.15, the apostle Paul actually says that we are the aroma of Christ in this world. And what he means by that is this, is that the way that we live as representatives of this kingdom, right? The grace that we show, the love that we show, the compassion and the mercy that we offer to others, these things, when they mark our lives, it becomes this thing that allows other people to see what the kingdom is here for. You know, I've actually been able to experience this in my own life when I wasn't following Jesus. You know, when I was in college, I was in a pretty bad place Um, and that had to do with a whole lot of other things. I wasn't really making really good decisions, but because of that I actually ended up getting kicked out of my school at the end of my freshman year. And I remember sitting in the office of this guy named Charlie Moore. He was the guy who had made that decision and I was in there and it was right after the moment that he had told me I had to leave. And like, I was a wreck. My uncle who I grew up with, he was like in the administration at the school, right? So this was like a bad mark on him. Like I was just feeling all of this shame and this guilt. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't know where I was gonna go. And then Charlie, he looked at me and he said something I'm never gonna forget. He said, Nate, even though there are consequences to your actions, you've gotta know this. You're more than what you've done. And this last year, it doesn't define you. The only thing that really matters is what Jesus has said about you. And he says that you're loved. He says that you're cherished. He says that you're his. And nothing that we just walked through changes any of that. right? This guy, Charlie, in that moment, right? That dark moment that I was walking through, he was the aroma of Christ to me, and it helped me see the kingdom, right? That's what it means to bring flavor to this world, to preserve. This is to actively stand against the things that stand in opposition to kingdom values. Right? We don't passively sit by while our world falls apart. We actually take an active role in standing against anything that demeans, devalues or destroys life. And it's the kingdom that causes us to do this. It was William Wilberforce, right? He was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the first people to take a stand against slavery in England and to get the laws changed. It was Martin Luther King Jr., a a pastor who saw some of the things happening in our country that uh, had to do with race and who took a stand and he began this movement that changed everything. It was Mother Teresa, a nun in the Catholic Church who was so moved with compassion over the plight of the lepers down in India that she moved down there to serve them and it revolutionized the world. There are so many beautiful stories of how we've seen this happen. And today, even in our own church, we're still doing this, right? As a church, we advocate for foster care. And there are many of you right now who are doing this. And that is amazing. Thank you. We partner with organizations all over our city and all over the world who are caring for the refugees and the homeless for single moms and for so many more. And just like these people in history, it is the kingdom that is driving us to do this. Right, to be salt is to do these two things. We bring the aroma of Christ into this world wherever we go and we stand against the things that demean, destroy, and devalue life. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He goes on to give us a warning. In the second half of Matthew 5, 13, he says this, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus seems to be saying here that in the same way that salt has no value when it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, we have no value for the kingdom when we don't do what we're supposed to do. Now, I want to be honest. What Jesus says here, I struggle with it. In preparation for this message, I read read a ton of different commentaries to see if there was something in here that I was missing. And all of them agree that in the context of everything in Matthew 5 to 7, which presents this beautiful picture of the kingdom life, they say that what Jesus says here is harsh. And we're not really used to hearing things like this from Jesus, are we? And in fact, in the gospels, the only time that we ever really see Jesus using language and imagery like this is when he's talking to the corrupt religious leaders. Right? These are the people that had taken this beautiful relationship God had invited them into, this beautiful work that God had invited them to partner with him in, and they turned it into this religious system that didn't bring life, but instead oppressed people, that demeaned people, that devalued people, that destroyed people. There's a part of me that wonders if that's what Jesus is actually warning us against here, if that's what losing our saltiness is actually all about. Maybe it's when we try to turn the kingdom into something that it was never actually meant to be. You, you see salt, it's, it's not supposed to be thrown to the ground to be mixed with the dirt. It's supposed to be used, right? That's what salt does. Like it, it uh, flavors, it preserves, it's got this purpose. And, and as kingdom people, we have a purpose as well. And it is to be this people who bring life. But when we cease to do this, when we no longer carry the aroma of Christ into this world, we have lost our saltiness because we have lost sight of what this kingdom is actually about. And look, this isn't to say that we've got to be perfect. We all know that there is more that we can do. We are deeply aware of this. This warning that Jesus gives, it's not about trying to heap shame and guilt upon us. Instead, what I think it is, is I think it's an invitation for us to begin to develop a posture where we are constantly evaluating the way that we're living our lives. Inviting the Spirit to speak to us and to guide us and to show us these areas that we need to grow in so that we could better show the world who He is and what His kingdom is all about. So that's salt. Salt. Jesus goes on in the next verse to give us this other image to help us understand what it means to be a kingdom person. He says this in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now this image, just like the one that he used with salt, it's an image that would have meant something to the original listeners. And to understand this, we've actually got to go back to Genesis 12, to the beginning of the story of the people of Israel because it's there after telling Abraham that he had chosen uh, him to make a people out of that, that, that God says this it's Genesis 12 two. he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, All right? This right here, this is a, a promise that the people of God have always held on to, no matter what it is that they were walking through. And it's a promise that God was faithful to right? You could read through the rest of Genesis and all the Old Testament and you'd see how God honored this. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. He helped establish him as a nation And this nation that they established the nation of Israel. It had a capital and the name of that capital was Jerusalem, which also has another name. It's the city on a hill. That's actually the language that Jesus uses when he talks about being a light in the world, he's intentionally connecting this thing that he's saying here with this thing that God said back there. Now this original promise that God made to Abraham, the Israelites were kind of prone sometimes to be pretty selective in their interpretation of it, right? They focused a lot on being made a great nation. They focused a lot on the blessing that God was going to give give them. But if you actually look at this promise as a whole, it's much bigger than that. You see, that, that was just kind of the conditional part of the promise, the, the real meat of the promise, the real thing that God wanted to do. It came in the second half of the verse. Actually, in the next verse, it says this in verse three of chapter 12 of Genesis. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, all curse, and here it comes, so that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Right? So blessing all of the families of the earth, right? This was actually God's plan from the very beginning. That's why he called Abraham in the first place. And God actually continues to remind his people of this all throughout the prophets. And one of them I love because he uses the imagery of light again is something that, that Isaiah says, he writes this in Isaiah 49, six, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. All right, so, so this right here, God's salvation reaching to the ends of the earth. That is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise of blessing that God gave Abraham back in Genesis 12. That was his plan all along. It wasn't just to create a nation. It was to actually form a people who could then be a physical manifestation of this coming kingdom in a world that didn't know him to live as a light so that other people would be drawn to him. It's beautiful. And Jesus closes by saying this in Matthew 5, 15 to 16. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. I love this image of light. Because for me, it really helps me understand the way that I'm supposed to engage the world. You see, the, the, the purpose of light, it's not to expose darkness, right? Some of us think that, but, but it's not that. In fact, like darkness doesn't even exist. It's not really a thing. It's just the absence of light. I mean, think about it this way. Like if you are somebody who is lost in the woods and there is no moon out and you've got no light, like you are hopeless, but then when there's a light that comes, right? Maybe it's a flashlight or the sun rising and you can see this path, all of that fear you felt, all of that lostness you felt, it's, it's gone. There is hope, there is peace, there is comfort, there is direction, all right? So for us to be light in the way that Jesus is talking about it, it's for us to live our lives in a way that it's gonna show people who are lost the way back to God. It's to live our lives in a way that it's actually gonna bring comfort to those who are hurting and alone. There are so many beautiful examples of how I've seen this kind of living play out. I remember reading this story a number of years ago about a guy who was speaking at a conference in Hawaii. And there was this one night, it was the middle of the night, he couldn't sleep because he was from the East Coast. And so he decided to get up, it was about 3 a.m. and just go sit at a diner and eat breakfast. And while he was sitting there, there was a group of prostitutes who came in. And he overheard this conversation they had. There was one of the women in this group who told all of her friends that the next day was going to be her 39th birthday. And, and her friends who were with her, they began to give her a hard time and to actually kind of get mad at her because they thought that uh, she was trying to guilt them into throwing her a party, getting her cake and balloons. And they're like, what what do you expect from us? You actually want us to do something? And, and the woman responded. She said, no, I, I don't like, I've never even had a birthday party. Why would I want one now? Well, when they left this guy, he went up to the manager and his wife And he asked if this group of women comes in every night and he asked what this woman's name was and he was told her name was Agnes. And so he said, hey, can we throw Agnes a birthday party tomorrow night? And the manager said, yes. And so they got to planning, they baked a cake, they got balloons, they got decorations, they invited a bunch of people to come fill this diner in the middle of the night so that that next morning they could actually have a birthday party for it. So 2 a.m. comes around, he gets everything ready. He goes back to the diner And then they wait 3am rolls around and Agnes and her friends walk back in. And here's this woman who had this poor self image, this woman who had had nothing nice ever done to her. And she walks in and there is a party being thrown in her honor. And she was floored. She was overwhelmed. She had never experienced this kind of love before. Well, at the end of the night, after everybody had gone home, this manager who had figured out that this guy who had thrown this party was, was a, a preacher, he, he comes up to him and he asks him a question. He says, what kind of church do you belong to? And, and for him, like he was not religious. He had only had bad experiences with the church. And, and so this was strange for him. And this man, this preacher, he responded. He said, I belong to the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at three in the morning. And then the manager looked at him and said, I'd join that kind of church. That's beautiful. And, And I've even gotten to see how this kind of living impacts people here in the context of our own student ministry. You know, before COVID, we had this student who started coming to student night. We met him over at Central High School. We invited him to come. We had seen him over there. And there was this one night, he'd been coming for about a month. And he came up to me and he said, he had to ask me a question. And so he pulled me aside and then he asked me this. I'll never forget it. He asked me if we hated him. I didn't understand this question. And so I asked him like, man, like, why would you think that? Like help me understand. And then he went on to tell me that he had some people in his life who had told him that the church hates him because he's gay and that he shouldn't even waste his time coming here because we didn't want him to be here. And when when he said this, my heart broke. It hurt. And so I assured him that that we didn't hate him. In fact, we actually loved him. We we cared about him and we wanted to walk alongside of him and to help him discern and discover and fall in love with Jesus himself. And and then this, this kid who was a whole lot bigger than me, he put his arms around me, gave me this big old bear hug. And then when he put me down, he said this. He said, that's what I thought. He told me that he had never experienced anything other than what I had just told him when he had come to be a part of our community. He said that in fact, it was that very love that we gave him and that commitment to him that we gave him that actually was drawing him towards us and towards the church. You know, I, I got one more story this, this past Tuesday, and this is a cool story. I was, I was finishing up this message and I got a call from Pastor Allen and he wanted to tell me about this thing that had happened during the staff prayer that morning that he just thought was like the coolest thing in the morning. They, they, they were praying for the men of our church. They were praying for the fathers in our city. And in the middle of this call, one of, one of our staff was actually sitting out in our lobby and he noticed that there was a group of high school guys sitting in front of the church. And so he got up with his computer, still on this call, and he walked out there and he began to talk to these kids. He began to ask them about their fathers and about their stories. And then he asked them if he could pray for them and for their dads and their relationships. And then he did. Now, what what I love about each of these stories is that, you know, not only was everybody trying to live as salt and light, right? Doing all the things that Jesus talked about in the, the Beatitudes, not only were they focused on their own character and development, they were also committed to taking the time to noticing the people around them who were worth paying attention to. A woman who had no sense of self-worth. A kid who thought they might be rejected. A group of young guys who were just sitting outside of the church. And instead of being passive, letting the moment pass, they saw an opportunity for them to engage. And by engaging in so many ways, probably more than they'll ever even know, they helped these people experience the kingdom. This is what being salt and light is all about. Because it doesn't just change us. It changes the whole world that's around us. Let's pray. You know, as, as we pray and as we respond, I have a few things that I want you to talk to the Lord about and to just ask him. The first one is this, how is Jesus calling you to be salt in your life right now? Is your life marked by the aroma of Christ? And if it's not, would you invite him to show you the things that you need to work on? Would you ask him to help you so that you could better reflect who he is to the world that's watching? And the next question I want you to consider is this. Who is Jesus calling you to be light to? Who in your life is worth paying attention to, is worth noticing? And how can you show them the kingdom? How can you show up in an unexpected way? Ask the Lord that. Jesus, would we never lose sight of this thing that you have called us to, this partnership that you've invited us into. You have uniquely placed each and every one of us here wherever we are for a reason. And that's so that you could use us to draw others to you. And so Father, this week, as we go about our lives, would you help us see the ways that we could do this? Would you give us the courage to do it? And Father, would you use us to reach those who are lost, that they might be saved? I pray this in your name, Jesus.